Good morning. Welcome to Mission View Church. I'm so glad you're here this morning. My name is Matt Happ. I'm the lead pastor here at Mission View. If this is your first time here with us today, we're just so glad that you came to worship with us. If you're joining us online for the first time, welcome. Uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series right now in the book of Titus. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Titus chapter 2. Uh, the sermon series is called Lasting Leadership. And in this letter that Paul wrote to Titus, he's really giving Titus some direction on how to lead the church, how to care for the church. And, and, and so we're, we're trying to gather as much as we can from Paul's letter to Titus. Last week we talked about elders and leadership in the church and doctrinal authority. And um, if you didn't have a chance to, to be here for that, you can watch online. All of our sermons are backed up online. You can watch them online there and catch up. So feel free to do that. This week, man, it's, uh, it, Paul continues to give Titus just some some great insight um, in what's going on. So Titus was having some issues with some people in his church. Not that we ever have any people problems, right? None of us have any people problems. No, it's the same back then as it is today that there's issues in relationships. Human relationships are difficult. And so um, Paul's writing this letter and he's giving him some information. He's trying to help Titus out on how to deal with what's going on in his church and in the world around him. And you know what? It's not much different today. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but the world that we live in is crazy. Like, I mean, it is full on crazy. Uh, things that we grew up knowing to be true have been challenged, um, even changed. That, that things that used to be true aren't true anymore. In fact, the truth itself is questionable today. You're, they, you, they believe now that it's relative. You know, your truth for you could be truth for you, but it's not truth for me. And, and my truth for me may be truth for, for me, but it may not be truth for you. And when truth is like that, there's no real truth at all. But we know that the scriptures teach us there is truth, that Jesus is the truth. And the world we live in is just, it's just so wild to, to actually witness and be a part of. Really what it comes down to, and I'm, I'm going to give you today's sermon kind of right up front here in this first three minutes, is that the world needs something. The world needs something so desperately. They are in search for something with all their might, with all their time, with all their money. They, they are looking and searching for something so desperately. And what the world needs is Jesus. The world needs a Savior. A lost people in a lost world looking lost need a Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. God knew that there was this, this lostness, this desperation that would exist in the world. He knew that people would, would be searching for him. He created this, he created this vacuum, this, this heart, this human heart that is, is always seeking and searching for fulfillment and joy and, and something to worship, something to grab onto, something to hold onto, a firm foundation that, that would just set the course for our lives. And so, so God, in all his glory, majesty, and wisdom, sent his only son, Jesus, to come and put on flesh. You see, when sin entered the world, it created this, this gap, this separation between humanity and its creator. You had this perfect God, perfect, who never knew sin, has never even thought of sin, has, has completely been perfect. And then you had man he created and then fell into sin, creating this gap. And God said, I'm going to heal that gap. I'm going to come and fulfill this people. 
I'm going to be their God. They will be my people. And so he sent Jesus Christ, his only son, to do what no, no other man or woman could do is to live up to God's perfect standard. See, God set a standard that only God could fulfill. And so God sent his only son, Jesus, being truly man and truly God at the same time, a mystery, a mystery of the Christian faith, this wild thing, this, this God-man Jesus, to live up to that perfect standard. So Jesus lived out his life 33 years on the earth, never sinned in thought or deed. He was perfect. You and I can't do that. Jesus came and did it for us. And then this Jesus who lived his life loving humanity, lived his life healing the sick, preaching good news, preaching hope to the world, was loved by so many and hated by so few. But man, I tell you what, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, doesn't it? Just seems like every time. And that smaller group that hated this perfect God-man because he was challenging their religious, legalistic, sinful ideals, challenged him and eventually killed him. <coughs> Excuse me. And Jesus died a sinner's death that you and I deserved. But he rose again on the third day, defeating death and sin for you and me. You see, we live in a world that has no hope. No hope. But we have hope in Christ Jesus. And this hope that we've been given, God has given to me and you that we would share it with everyone that we meet. The hope that we have in Christ is meant to overflow out of our lives into every relationship that we have. And it's meant to not just impact the world and the people around us, it's meant to impact us. It actually changes us. It changes what we do. It changes how we think. It changes how we treat our neighbor, how we treat our spouse, how we raise our kids. It, it just changes everything about us. We start listening to different kinds of music. Growing up, I listened to Van Halen and Metallica and ACDC, you know, playing guitar, trying to rock out, right? Now I'm listening to like worship music 24-7. I went to Need to Breathe last night. That's why my voice is cracking and I need water, right? But God, God's doing this amazing thing here in Titus. He's going to give us some clear direction on this. Let's pray before we jump into Titus chapter 2. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. That your word is truth. That it changes us and it grows us. Father, we humbly come to you this morning. We ask that you would do a work in us that only you could do. Now that everyone that is watching online, everyone here today would walk out of here and be a different person because they've met with their creator. Father, we humbly, humbly ask, come and be God in our midst. We submit to your will, Father. We submit to your word, and we say, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So this amazing change that God is doing in you and me, Paul kind of points out here in the first 10 verses of Titus chapter 2. A lot of times we like to read scriptures like this and start making checklists of do's and don'ts, right? We're really good at that. And a part of that is because, I don't know about you, but I like lists. Give me the list to do. I like, give me one through three, and I'll go through my day, and I'll check off the list. And at the end of the day, we just like, man, today was a good day. I got the list done. I feel good about myself, and, and this is just awesome. I'm great. 
And that's not how scripture works. When God is, is talking to me and you through his word, when he talks about these things that we are called to do, he is talking, he is saying, this is who you are. This is your identity. You were once in the world. You were once in darkness. You were once a sinner. Now you are saved. Now you are in the light. Now you are walking with Christ. The Holy Spirit's living in you. So let's not misread this. Let's not misread this first 10 verses. This is, this is the fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in mine and your life. And he gives some real clear direction to Titus here. It says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may be adorned they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Sober-minded, listen to these things. As we pursue God, these are the things that he is going to do in you through the power of his Holy Spirit. Sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness, reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine, teaching what is good training younger women to love their husband and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and, and submissive to their own husbands, self-controlled. Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. This is how we live our lives, how we use our gifts. Women, men, young women, young men, changed and changing and all of us being living examples of the power of God in human lives. This is who you are. This is your identity in Christ. We are to be discipling, mentoring, teaching, and so much more. When we do those things, it says, when we do these things through the power of the Spirit, it says, the word of God won't be reviled. That's why God's doing these things in us. And that opponents of the faith will be put to shame. When they hear what's being said, when they see what's being done, they're going to have nothing negative they can say. No attack can come against God's word and God's work. And that is why God is doing the great work of sanctification in us. <clears throat> As we read this and we look through this, I'll be honest with you, I, I look at that list and I'm like, wow, right? Like, that's, that's a lot to live up to, Right? I mean, we can, we can make the list and, and I could go through that and have it kind of by my desk and have the, the sticky notes on the mirror in the bathroom and, and all these things. And I'm like, I was really dignified today. I did really good, you know. But man, my self-control just tanked at noon, you know. Or you could have all this list and it's daunting, right? We read these things and we're like, oh God, I want that in my life. But, but man, you, you have to work a miracle, 
right? It's easy to read the list and feel conviction. And that's good too. You know what that means? When you sense conviction, when you go through things like this, that means that the Holy Spirit God lives in you. The Bible says that one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit who lives in us is to bring conviction, a sweet conviction that draws us to God. And I always like to make the differentiation between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation is from the enemy, from the devil, and it drives us away from God. Conviction is a sweet conviction that God brings through his Holy Spirit that draws us to God. Says, And it's this conviction of like, ah, I don't want that in my life. God, will you change me? Will you grow me? Will you make me the person you've called me to be? I don't want your word to be reviled. I want, it, I, I, I want you to use me for your kingdom. God, if, if God loves you too much to leave you the way you are, and he does, he is going to change you. And we, oh, you know what? We all just love change, right? It's like our favorite thing. We just wake up in the morning. We're like, what's going to go wrong today? This is going to be great. I'm sure they're working on the highways and it's going to take me an extra hour to get to work. I love change. Let's change the highway system, right? No, we hate change. It hurts. It's painful. But it's in that sanctifying, which means change, in that work that God works his will in and through our lives. It's in that that God is going to do all of those things. Man, it's, it's the most humbling thing to stand up here and preach that to you. I just want to be honest. Because I'm just not there yet. God is growing me and changing me. And I have so much to learn and so much needs changed in my life. And that's what God calls us to, brothers and sisters. We are all called to change. We are broken people leading and caring for and loving other broken people. We do this together. It's not just some leader or group of leaders. It's not a group of elders or deacons. It is the family and the church of God. We're not here to build some big organization. We're here to grow a family. That's one of our values here at Mission View Church, that we do life together. We meet in community groups, in people's homes throughout the week. We share a meal together or, or snacks, and, and then we pray with one another, and then we open God's word together, and then we ask how you're doing, and it's not like how you're doing, oh, great, the weather is wonderful. No, it's, it's what's going on in your life. What are you struggling with? What, how can I pray for you? Do, you? do we need to meet for coffee this week and, and talk through some difficult things? This mentoring, discipling, this loving brothers and sisters in Christ, doing life together. That's how God intended it to go because we need each other. I need you just as much as you need me and you need that person sitting in these seats next to you. Sitting beside you, we grow together. God uses these relationships for his glory and for our good. Let's move on to verse 11. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. This is like the, this is, in chapter two, this is like the pivotal verse. You want to circle it, if you've got your highlighter, I got stars beside it. It's like right here. For the grace of God has appeared. Okay, that didn't have like the oomph I thought it would have, you know, I, Right? The grace of God has appeared. Okay, let me explain that. Maybe you didn't get it. That means that this glorious grace, this 
foreknowledge, foreknowing love that God before time began knowing you, knowing the struggles that you would have, knowing the difficulties and the, the, the sins that would encroach upon your life from your own life, the sins of others that would encroach upon you, the pain that you would walk through, and his foreknowledge and foreknowing chose you not because you were going to be amazing and do amazing things for his kingdom, but just out of this, this grace, love, and just generosity, God just lavishes this grace upon you through the person of Jesus Christ. That's that the grace of God has appeared for you. Yeah, there we go, right? Right, that's what that means. Like, like he knows me, he knows my name, he knows my struggles, he knows my tomorrow, he knows my eternity, he knows my past, and, and he loves me anyways, and he smiles upon me, gives favor to me, that's undeserved, unmerited, because of the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Jesus has come, and he has come so that you and I would be changed. Oh, we got to get this. Just say, I need to be changed, right? I need to be changed. We live in a world today that is a, confu- let me say it this way. We live in an America that was a Christian nation, and now it's a confused Christian nation. We have, we, have, we have taken this book that we're, we're reading from and holding high and submitting to, and we've just thrown it out the door. You know, like, so what sin is, you know, what sin for you may not be sin for me. This relativity and this other stuff is baloney. And what we have now isn't Christianity in America. We have confused Christianity. And it's a hot mess. It is it is anti-Bible, anti, I mean, you cannot, you cannot take the gospel, you cannot take God's word and just be halfway with it. When you, when you go just 50%, when you go just 80%, when you go just 25%, the whole thing just falls apart and just infests itself with sickness, illness, and grossness, and sin. There's no halfway in Christianity. There's no part of this that is true and other parts that are false and other parts that are partially true. We have large denominations today that teach like this. No joke. I've sat in the conferences with head speakers in front of thousands of pastors saying, well, this part right here, I have three buckets. And this is how I interpret scripture. You have a bucket of truth, a bucket of almost truth, and a bucket that's just false. This book of the Bible, I just throw in the false one. This book of the Bible, I throw in the truth one. And this Proverbs, oh yeah, that's truth. Well, except for Proverbs, you know, right? And when we do that, it's not Christianity anymore. I'm being generous by saying confuse Christianity. It's not Christianity at all. If we're not willing to submit to the authority of God's word, if we're not willing to submit to the authority of God's truth, then we're not Christians. You can call it confused Christianity. I call it atheism. Self-deification. We become our own gods. Because what I say is truth is truth. What his word says is truth, well, it just goes out the window. 
It's the same thing, same old story, same thing Satan's been using since the garden. Eh, did he really say that? Is that really true? Will you really die? I mean, make the decision for yourself. You're God. Same old thing. The first felony he notes is this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And in verse 12, training us. We are in training. We are in training. The grace of God has appeared in the life and the work of Jesus Christ. And now we are in training. Training like we were getting ready for the Olympics. And we, we got to get on board with this. Training like athletes, crossfitters. Are we need crossfitters out there? I just met with somebody who's doing crossfit. I did crossfit one time and I didn't tell them this. I, well, maybe I did. But I did crossfit one time. And I will tell you, it is painful. My hands were bleeding. My shirt, you could just wring out afterwards. And I, I, the next day, I, I, I couldn't hardly walk. I was like this. I just couldn't do anything. Like, CrossFit training is crazy. Like, they, they just go for it, man. It's this wild kind of intense, what they call it, hit workouts. You know, these hit workouts. Man, but that's, that's how it's meant to be in our Christian life. You see, Jesus has appeared. That means that the Old Testament is true because the whole Old Testament has prophesied that there would be this Messiah that comes. And when the Messiah comes, he's bringing a new and better um, uh, covenant or promise with, with people. And God's going to bridge this gap, not just between his Jewish, his Jewish people, but Gentiles and Jews could come to God. That means the grace of God has appeared. Jesus has appeared. And now it's time to get ready, people. Jesus has come and we've got a job to do. And he's coming again. So it's not that we just get saved and, and then we just show up on Sundays at church and, 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 and think about that list in the first part that I read and check it off and be like, okay, I showed up to church on Sunday and I did this and I did that and I'm a good person and good people go to heaven, so I'm great. I'm just going to go to work on Mondays and live out my life. No, it is this training like a CrossFitter, training like a marathoner, training like an Olympian. Can you um, just think about it? If, 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 if Christianity was just like, hey, I get saved, I'm just going to show up to church on Sunday mornings, you know? That's my training. I'm in training on Sundays from 10 to 11. Woohoo! Think about that for a second. Olympics, right? Well, here's Bob representing the USA. Looks like he's put on a few pounds since the last Olympics. Wow, seven feet in the long jump. New Olympic record for shortest jump. What went wrong? It was that Sunday training program. He only reads his Bible, prays, and celebrates Christian conversation fellowship on Sundays. What a fail. What a fail. We are in training every day, every hour, every minute, training our minds, our hearts, our thoughts, our bodies, our souls, creating habits, solidifying doctrine, theology, and beliefs. We have 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, maybe 80 years by the grace of God, give or take a few years. And it's all over in the blink of an eye. It's all gone. Here one day and gone the next, it says in James 4, 14. It says, you, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Let that just sink in for a minute. We are here for a limited time. And we are here to glorify God with our lives, with our words, with our actions, with our finances. 
with everything that we are. And we have just this little amount of time. What are you doing with your life? Are we in training? Are we, pur- are we living purposeful lives for the kingdom of God? Don't waste your life. Every minute matters. We are in training. We're lifelong learners, always growing, always changing, always running after Jesus. It never ends. The Christian life is the eternal journey of divine discovery. The Christian life is the eternal journey of divine discovery. God, the creator of the universe, is inviting you into a personal relationship with him. He wants to speak to you through his word. He wants to reveal truth to you. He wants to grow you and show you things that you never thought possible. He has good things set aside for you to do. He has gifted you specifically for your life, for this place. It actually says that God has given you specific gifts to use in the church for his glory and for the good of those in his church. Every person sitting here right now, everyone that calls Mission View their church home, God has gifted you for Mission View Church. The vision that God has set before us, we are meant to do that with you. You are meant to jump on board. It's, it's not just, you know, jumping on a yacht like the Disney cruise, you know, and walking around and playing shuffleboard. Grab an oar. We are all rowing. We're all working towards this. We can't do it without you. That's why God brought you here. Now, God can do it without us. Don't get me wrong. He's going to do whatever he wants to do. It's, that is who God is. He's all powerful, all knowing, everything, right? But on purpose, he has invited you in to be a part of this amazing work that God's doing. And it's not just the work he's doing at Mission View Church. He's doing it through hundreds of thousands of churches all over the world for his kingdom and for his glory. We just get to be a small part of that right here for him. There's no sitting on the sidelines. God's inviting us into relationship with him. And that propels us out into serving him his church, for his glory, for his might, that everyone would know him. As we marvel at the awesomeness of God, we look and wonder at his creation, we're just baffled by his sovereignty. Our minds are melted when we try and wrap our minds around his mercy and his grace. Why me, God? Why? I don't deserve this. There's nothing I've done that would merit that kind of love, that kind of favor. His sovereign hand working his will throughout all the ages, throughout all of history. The prophecies in the Old Testament that that have come to pass and the ones that are yet to come to pass. We are invited in to this eternal journey of divine discovery. We will never... Never, it will never end. The depths of his wisdom and grace and beauty are unsearchable. Just just imagine with me for a moment, if you will, what eternity is going to be like with our creator God. I mean, right now, it says, the Bible says that it's like almost looking into a mirror dimly. It's like this, this, have you ever tried to see your reflection in one of those like, uh, mirrors that are etched or whatever, a frosted, 
frosted mirror or whatever. It, everything's just blurry. You, you can kind of see a silhouette, but it's just like this blurry mess. And you're like, what is, you can't tell if you, you, you know, your face looks good, if you shaved right or whatever. It's terrible, right? The Bible says that's what this life is right now. That's what it feels like. That's really what it is. But when Jesus comes again, and he's coming soon, when he comes again, it's going to be like seeing him face to face. Now it's that dim, messed up, just foggy silhouette. When Jesus comes again, it's going to be like face to face. I mean, I don't know about you, but I look at his creation now, and I'm just broken. I'm just melted. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? I mean, have you stood at the edge of the Grand Canyon? Have you been to, you know, like skiing the top of Mount Baker? Or watch some of the videos that we have of the depths of the sea or, or some of the pictures that we have from Hubble Telescope? And you just sit there and you're just like, wow. Just remember, that's like looking into a mirror, frosted, dim silhouette. You're going to see the guy who created that, the God that created that face to face. It's, a, it's an eternal joy in searching out and growing in knowledge of a God that is beyond any comprehension. Lasting leadership trains like champions towards what? As we're training and going after Christ, what? To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, it says. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The Holy Spirit who lives in every believer will work the will of God, let me just say that again, will work the will of God in the hearts, minds, and in our lives. He will have his way. Through the power of the Spirit, we can now, identity in Christ, we can now renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And remember, it's because of the gospel that I talked about in the beginning that we can do all this. In verse 11, it says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The gospel, the good news, right? It's because of that that we can do all these things. It's not because we can just, just storm up the willpower and do it. It's not that we can just white-knuckle all these things and live out a good life from our own strength and our own power and, and make it happen. It's not that we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and, and gather all the people together and make this thing happen. That's not how it works. It is simply and 100% the grace and mercy of God in our lives. Every, every good thing that happens to us, every good work that flows out of us, every good word that comes out of our mouth is a working of the Holy Spirit changing us and growing us. Isn't it, isn't it, isn't it amazing to know that like God has this, you have this one side and God has this like amazing perfect standard that no one can live up to. And you read the scriptures and you're just like, you see that perfection, you're just like, oh my gosh, there's no way that's like so far away from where I am. And, and, and God, I don't even know how I can do this. And he's like, well, you got to be perfect. You, you know, you want to be in a relationship, you got to be perfect. So good luck with that. But that's not what he says. He says, you got to be perfect. So you know what? I, I got you. I got you. I'm going to send my son. He's going to do all the perfect for you. And, and when you believe in him, by grace through faith in Christ alone, you put your faith in him and the, his life, his perfection, and, his, and you believe in that, you're covered in his blood. And when, when I see you, I see his perfection. So then you can come to me. We're going to be in great relationship. God sets the standard, and then God meets the standard. Then God invites us into it. 
He doesn't leave us to our own devices. He doesn't say, hey, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Make this thing happen. He says, no, I am going to actually live inside of you and make this happen. It is not on us. It is on God doing his thing. It is about God being God. Our part in this is just to run after him. I could, man, I can stand up here and give you like a list of things to do, and I will in a little bit, but, right? Because that's what pastors do, right? I could give you the whole list of things to do, but really it comes down to this. It is running after God with reckless abandon. It really is. I was with um, a guitar teacher one time when I was, I was probably 12 years old, and his name's Rocky Roar. And if he's watching, you know, what a, I mean, he had to be a great guitarist, right? Rocky Roar, you know, wow. So but anyways, he was dating my sister. Anyways, um, we sit down, we're playing guitar, and I'm like, I want to learn this, and I want to play this. And, and he's like, no, no. And he goes, and he starts playing some Jimi Hendrix. And I'm like, that's okay, but I was like into ACDC and stuff or Van Halen. And he's like, well, you know, he, has, he said, if I can remember, he goes, to get to where you're going, you need to learn to appreciate where you've come from. And I was just like, that's dumb. Because I didn't get it, right? Chad liked that one. No, I did. I was like, but I didn't get it. What he was saying is you have to learn the basics before you can, you got to learn to crawl before you walk, you know, that kind of thing. And I really think it's the same thing in our relationship with God. To get to where we're going, we have to really appreciate where we've come from. And a lot of churches today won't talk about where you've come from. They just throw it away. They just make it disappear. They just, they just never think about it. But there's something really beautiful. Something really beautiful about where you've come from. There's something really beautiful about what God has saved you from. You know, our past, the sins in our lives, they can be torments to us for, for our lives. Or they can be our testimony. If we, if we are really going to go where God wants us to go as a people and as his church, we have to know where we've come from. And not just forget it and ignore it, but realize it and appreciate it. The beauty of brokenness, because God has come to me in my sin, and he has pulled me out of it. I was dead in my trespasses, destined for an eternity and torment of hell. And God, in his mercy and grace, reached down to these dead, dry bones, breathed life into them, and brought me up into the light. Now, we don't dwell on our past, right? Like, ugh, gross, right? But we remember what God saved us from. There's beauty in the transfer from brokenness into his righteousness. If we're going to get to where we're going, we need to appreciate where we've come from. We need to appreciate how God has changed us. Praise the Lord, right? Verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us. I love, I love the word redeem us right there. That's, I love that he's redeemed us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. 
God's redeemed us on purpose, man. He's got a purpose in this redemption that he's called us into and done for us and in us. The second thing and second filling in your notes is this, is that we're in waiting. We are in waiting. Waiting for what? We're waiting for Jesus to come again. This is not our home. Your home that you go home to, it's not your home. This earth is in our home. I'm, I'm going to answer one of the, the, the hardest questions, one of the, the hottest questions out there in our world today. Do aliens exist? Yes, they do. You are an alien here, and I have a scripture that talks about it. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and temporary residents not to give in to the desires of your old nature, which keep, you warring, which keep warring against you. We are aliens here. This is not our home. We have an eternal home, a lasting home, a better home. Let me just tell you, you may have a really great house here. It's nothing. It is nothing. It is trash compared to what God has for you in heaven. Don't get comfortable in this life, in this world. We are here, we are in a battle. This is a war. And we don't get to see it very much here in America. We're starting to see it a little bit more and more, but we don't get to see it very much here. But Christians around the world are dying. We're gonna hear from missionaries. I'm so excited that Brother Benny's coming and Job Shed's coming from Tajikistan. You're gonna hear some stories, man, that are gonna rock your world. We just don't realize it, but you're, you're in a battle. We're on the front lines. You are on the front lines of a spiritual battle that's been waging since the fall, since eternity. I mean, this is, this is who we are. We're aliens here. We just get locked into this life, the nine to five and all this other stuff, and forget about what's really going on behind the scenes. God calls us into this spiritual battle to be this Olympic training that we're talking about. So this waiting, this waiting for Christ isn't some passive waiting. It's not, I'm, I'm going to sit here and twiddle my thumbs and Jesus is coming. Got to get ready. No. No, he has a job for you. He has a job for you on the front lines. We are in waiting for Christ's return. He is coming back for us to take us home, waiting for our blessed hope, it says. This is not some passive waiting. While we wait, we remember the gospel. It permeates every moment of our existence. This good news, this Jesus Christ that has come and made a way for us. We wait for Jesus and meditate on the gospel that propels us to good works. Because it says what? He has a people that are zealous for good works. What makes us zealous for good works? It's the ultimate good work. What makes you zealous for good works is the ultimate good work. And that ultimate good work is the work of Jesus Christ for me and you. And the more that we meditate on that, the more that we let that just soak into our minds, into our lives, and into our understanding, God just grows our hearts more and more as we see his love for us. That love just starts to begin to overflow out of us onto everyone around us, and it just makes a mess of our world in a really good way. It's not a passive waiting. It's a zealous for good works waiting because we recognize the ultimate good work, waiting for our blessed hope, Jesus' return. Now, he, he says that, zealous for good works. And then, then without warning or explanation, Paul just goes right into the gospel. Zealous for good works. And he goes right into the gospel. Why? 
Because the gospel is what opens our eyes to salvation. And the gospel is the motivation behind our change or sanctification. And the gospel is the fuel for the good works. You pick up the pattern here. It's almost in every sermon I preach because it's almost in every text that we read. The gospel is paramount. It has to be in everything and fueling everything that happens. God saved me. God changed me. This miracle of this creator God and what he's done through his son, Jesus Christ, has changed the world. And it's changed me. I mean, we have to let people know about it. We have to let everyone know about it. I was going to read some parables to you out of Matthew, but I, I want to give you a little bit of homework on that. He, the parables of the kingdom... And Matthew looked that up. He shares just a, a couple parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a field. And he says, kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. And, and he, he talks about this, this kingdom of God. And, and what, what would you do for the kingdom of God? What would you do for this, this Jesus, this Messiah, when you recognize what it really is? And it's this beautiful picture that, that Jesus paints as he shares these parables. But really what I wanted to share with you is this, is that we have been given the greatest gift, the most valuable gift, forgiveness, redemption, freedom, and eternal life. So we don't take that, that amazing gift, the most valuable gift ever, and sit on it. Just go and sit in our basement and wait by ourselves quiet and solemnly. We joyfully go out and share it with everyone. We have to live in the joy of our salvation. We miss this one so much. I, I always think like, um, have you guys ever, anybody here ever been to an African-American church? Okay, good. There's a few of us here. Right, I had a, a, one of my friends, a worship leader, his name's Amante Lacey. I would love to have Amante come and leave worship for us. But, you know, he was, you know, he's a black guy, loves Jesus, leads worship. And, and um, I did a couple shows with him when we were touring and stuff. Man. When they do worship, I mean, it's like he would do his like normal music and then, you know, he'd say, all right, we're going to go into worship. And his normal music was like calm. When he went into worship, everybody started jumping around and dancing and clapping their hands and doing everything. And they're singing, as, I mean, as loud as you could possibly hear. And I, I thought to myself, I was thinking, you know, when we grasp, when we, when we understand what God's done for us and it really hits us, that's our worship. That's what our worship should look like. I mean, you think about it, it, I think they've got something there. Like we come in and we're like, you know, we're going to worship and it gets really good. And you're like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Hold up, hold up. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you go home, you're like, man, worship was off the hook. That was crazy. She said, man, when they went to that chorus, man, I bowled my eyes out, man. That was crazy. And you're, we're out there just like, Mm -hmm. right like no I, I think we have to feed the joy of our salvation right like it's not just this thing that like we get used to it. We're like Jesus died for your sins what no we, I mean we realize we recognize it impacts us the reality of what God has done for our eternity men it should reflect in our worship I think the more a church wraps their mind around the gospel, the more passionate their worship will look. 
I mean, I, was, I mean, if passionate for you is, I mean, you better, right? <laughs> right? I was a worship leader for like 20 years, so a little bit of worship there. But no, I, th- I think the more we wrap our minds around the gospel, the more passionate our worship will be. And a part of it too is like, well, we're white. But other than that, right? Can I still say that, you know? Andrew, can I still say that from a younger guy, right? No, cancel culture, where we go, right? No, a part of it is, we don't, you know, that's, we're not really rhythmic. But the other part of that is, oh, come on, Abby, don't, come on. No, that is a part of it, but I'll tell you really what's behind that is fear of man. Because I'm worried about what Andrew's going to think of my dance moves. Or I'm worried about what so-and-so is going to think if I start to clap. I'm worried about what so-and-so will think if I raise my hands. I'm worshiping the person beside me, not the Savior who saved me. Hello. Right? If I'm standing in here during worship thinking about my neighbor, I'm worshiping my neighbor, not the one I came to worship. I think that's a big part of it. We have to, we, we have to go for it, I think, you know? Step out of our comfort zones and go after the Lord. If, man, if, if God moves in your heart during worship and you're weeping, then weep. If he moves on your heart, he pulls you and pour, puts you to your knees, go to your knees. If he's calling you to surrender and raise your hands, raise your hands. Worship Jesus because he's Jesus. Okay, totally sidetracked, have no idea where I am in my notes. And it's like 11.07, so we're good, right? Here's what I wanted to say. Lasting leadership waits with the gospel in our hearts in our minds, and on our tongue. Lasting leadership waits with the gospel in our hearts, in our minds, and on our tongues. In verse 15, he says, Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you, Titus. So last thing, last film is this. We are declaring. We are declaring, and there's two ways we're declaring. We're declaring with our words when we talk to people, other brothers and sisters in Christ, and encourage one another. We're talking with our words when we share the gospel with our neighbor or that coworker or that family member that doesn't know Jesus. We should all be doing that. I encourage you to do that, but here's a big one. We're declaring, the other way we declare is with our actions. We're declaring with our lives, with what you do. And it's not... You know, I don't want to say what we do and then you just go out and do a bunch of stuff. We do because of the gospel. I go out and share the gospel with my neighbor because he needs Jesus. I go out and I share with my family members that don't know him because Jesus has changed me and I know God can change him too. We don't do to do we do because what he's done. We run after Jesus and he works through us and pours out that grace and mercy overflows into the lives of those around us. Oh Lord, where do I go with this? I want to call us to holiness. Our lives need to look different than the lives around us. We need the sweet conviction of the Holy Spirit. We are a people set apart. 
And so we need to be a people that look the part. Are, are you humble enough to say you're not there yet and you want more of Jesus? Are we willing to walk in humility and say, God, I'm not there yet, I need your change. I need you to change me right now. Are you willing and humble enough to worship God with all your heart? To worship him with your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? Are we desperate enough to know our situation and want more of him? That's, that's who God's called us to be. Realizing who we are, realizing who he is, and just saying, God, do what you will. Do what you will with my life. Let's be a church that walks in that kind of humility with each other, with the Holy Spirit, and for the glory of God. Surrender to him. Man, if you're here today and you're hearing all this kind of stuff for the first time, maybe you didn't know that that God sent his son to die for your sins and that all it takes is putting your faith in, in his works and his life. Maybe you've heard this stuff and God's moving on your heart right now as you're even watching online. All it takes is submitting your life, your will to his will. Saying, God, you are my God. Come and have my life. If you wanna make that decision today, I wanna lead you in that decision. Let's bow our heads in prayer. For those of us who want to grow in that humility and go after Christ, let's pray this. You can pray this with me just silently as we go, but I'm gonna pray it for myself, but let's pray it for together too. Dear Heavenly Father, change my life. God, help me to never, ever think that I've arrived. Help me to remember where I've come from because of your great grace, because of your mercy, because of your kindness, because of your love that you lavished on us because of who you are. And God, help me to celebrate the joy of my salvation. Grow me, change me. Just work holiness into my life. God, I want the hard stuff. I want the hard stuff. I, I, I don't want to be where I am today, next year, next week. I want to be changed by your glory for your kingdom because it matters. So come and change us, Father. And for those who want to give their lives to Christ, say these things. Just say, God, come and change my life. I've tried it my way, it's a, it's a fail. God, I need your way. Come and work your will and your way in my heart, in my life. I submit to you. I lay my life at your feet. Come and change me for your kingdom and your glory. Use me, Father. I trust in Jesus Christ, the work that he did, the perfect life, the death that he died on the cross for my sin. I am yours. You are mine. Come have your way in me, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song today.